Hey there, guys. Today I'm joined by Eric Larson. He's one of our newer Team Nori coaches on our team uh, alongside Aiden and Chance Mitchell. Uh, we're really excited to bring on Eric to our team because he's one of our international coaches who's uh, located out of Sweden and uh, definitely an up and coming coach. He's competed at Worlds multiple times and, and kind of is uh, the face of Swedish powerlifting as, as he becomes kind of one of the up and coming lifters over there. Um, so thanks for joining me today, Eric. And, you know, I just wanted to start us out today by asking, like, you know, who are you? Like, what's your background? Um, kind of what, what was your childhood like, you know, coming from Sweden? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. So, yeah, I, I grew up in Stockholm or in a suburb uh, right outside of Stockholm. And uh, yeah, it was just, just a real nice normal, normal childhood, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I have uh, divorced parents. So Maybe not a completely normal childhood, but other than that, it was quite normal. Uh, I just, I did just a, like a lot of sports and stuff, uh, mostly team sports at first, like mm -hmm. soccer or floorball or or bandy. I don't know what if you know what that is. No, States, I actually uh, floorball. I've heard of it, but we don't really yeah. play it too much. Uh, I don't know the third sport you mentioned. What was it called? Oh again? no, bandy. It's it's kind of like uh, hockey on on like a soccer oh, field. Oh, okay. But you have like a. Like I think a small you mentioned it to ball. us uh, before on a on a team meeting, and I was like looking it up, but uh, yeah, we weren't familiar with it at all. Um, oh yeah, so, but, but yeah, it's it's kind of like hockey, but but on a bigger field, so it, you, it's you tackle a little bit less. Uh, well, yeah, quite popular. It, it's it's one of the winter sports that you do. It, it's not the biggest one, I think. It's. Uh, it's it's kind of like the powerlifting of winter sports, I I would say. Oh, okay. But, I got you. But it's it's really fun, and because you get to be outside and and you get to wear skates and stuff. So yeah, so and, so, uh, and uh, you go a lot faster. Uh, than growing you do hockey, up, but uh, you don't tackle as much. Growing up, did you guys like go outside and play more and do sports then? Because I know like sometimes in America, like the kids. Uh, uh, when I was talking to Aiden, you know, we just sit at home and play video games. Uh, so for you guys, like, were there more opportunities to just like? go outside and play sports because i'm guessing the weather over there is a little colder or how how is that like what what is it like to play outside in sweden yeah no no i don't really think the the weather affected us at all we, we <laughs> just went out either way uh uh really early uh, when i had, was in like first to fifth grade in school uh, mm -hmm. we, we weren't even allowed to be indoors uh wow, during that's, the breaks that's good. so i mean honestly just, for kids we just crazy. learned to to tolerate the cold you know so, yeah, like, I don't know yeah. if you know uh, the, the video game Skyrim. Uh, it's like a very popular game. And in the game, there's like a race called the Nords and they have like a resistance to the cold in the game. If, uh, but I live in Texas. I was born in Texas. And it's, you know, uh, you guys use Celsius, I'm guessing. But uh, for us, it's like 100 plus degrees Fahrenheit, which is very hot uh, all the time. Uh, some winters, we don't even get snow. So it's actually really cool to see snow every Christmas. We're like, wow, it's actually a, a white Christmas. Um, so for me, like anytime I go anywhere that's remotely cold, I just freeze up. I need to like bundle up and I'm so weak to the cold. So I'm envious, man. I mean, for us, yeah, we don't really get as much opportunity to just go outside and play. Like most kids like our age growing up start playing video games more and we don't really go outside to play. And like in, in places like Texas, you have to drive a lot to get anywhere. So it's not like you and your friends can just meet up and like, oh, I don't know what it was like for you guys, but is it like very public transportation heavy in Sweden or how, how is it like a geography was? Well, well, we have can, can, quite good bus system. So you uh -huh. can go pretty much anywhere uh, if you're like above 
10 years old, I think. But yeah, my, my parents gave me a lot of rights to, to all the games and practices. Oh, so okay, that, I, I kind of had them to thank for that. I didn't do many bus rides. Yeah. But, so yeah, I'm, we, I'm both guessing, me and uh, my brothers were. Okay. So I'm guessing uh, uh, they both support you guys playing sports a lot, you and your brothers? Yeah, yeah, me and my brother, we we play like a lot of sports, uh, sports, and like almost had uh, one or or two practices every day. I think probably from like the age of, oh, for for as long as I I remember, almost yeah, like age of five or six or something. We we did games every every weekend. We went to games, and uh, yeah, almost every week that we had uh, some kind of practice in in some kind of sports. That, that's great. I, when I talked to Chance, he was saying something similar about his childhood. And I think uh, my master's was in uh, sports administration. And one of the classes I took, we talk about sport culture and history. And the studies they've done is like kids who specialize in one sport really early. A lot of them, they burn out like 70, 80 percent, like by the time they're, you know, teenage years, high school years. So I think it's great for someone like yourself or Chance to get exposed to different sports and get, you know, encouraged to do it so that maybe as you get older, you have the skills but you can kind of pick and choose like what do I like the best where do I kind of see myself going so um, what's kind of the timeline of the different sports you played I know you met you mentioned some earlier but uh, was there a point yeah. in like high school or something where you were like this is the one I want to do more seriously what, what was that like yeah it was kind of like right before uh, I started secondary school um, I played a lot of floorball mm-hmm. so that was kind of kind of like the biggest thing that I specialized in. Uh, it was floorball and and golf for mm. for a few years, and uh, because I, I dropped everything else just to do those two, uh, ma- mainly because uh, I, I played soccer uh, mostly because uh, I couldn't play bandy in the summer, oh. so I didn't really like soccer. Uh, I, I was too small to play it anyway. I just got tackled down, oh, and uh, but but in floorball I, I was a little bit faster so I th- and uh, i could use the club all right so it, it helped me a lot more so technical i yeah i i, I like floorball so i i did a lot of that and uh, i also played a lot of golf i played like 60 or 70 rounds in, in like one summer and so i, I kind of had like a steep learning curve in golf so i had three three or or four good years in golf before i, I quit uh, that as well because because I started secondary school and uh, it was too time consuming for me to, to travel out to the golf course and and com- and do competitions and, and stuff like that because you have you have to travel kind of a long way to get to a different golf course and uh, yeah just every golf practice or, or every golf round is a couple of hours you can't just go down to the gym and do like a one-hour workout I see. and uh, so I think uh, it was around the time I, I started secondary school that uh, it wasn't too serious about floorball oh. either because uh, everybody in my team were very serious at a time. Mm-hmm. But then when people started getting other priorities like parties, girls, or <laughs> yeah, school, uh, then it kind of all fell apart in like half a year or something. It happened really quick. I so see. then I just started joining a few of my friends at the gym. Okay, so when you were playing like floorball and other sports, did they like in America during like the off season or some other times they make them weight train throughout the year for you guys? Did you guys weight train during those sports or did it take you to go to the gym with your friends to start training weights? 
we did a little bit of uh, weight training for the floorball team. Uh, mm-hmm. We had kind of like mobility exercises that we did, uh, and we did some some squats and some snatches. I think, uh, if I, if I remember correctly, so okay. that kind of prepared me uh, all right for for I, I was able to to do the main lifts, uh, squats to depth or or almost to depth. Uh, without heels because I, I had enough mobility uh, from, from the start so I think that prepared me and helped me a lot even if I wasn't uh, really using any weights I think it was like maybe a 30 kilo squat or something so it, it wasn't a lot it was more like technical practice and uh, and mobility but uh, just learning the mo- movement pattern uh, before I started loading the bar was yeah I, I think it, way, that yeah. was very beneficial for my first years in, in powerlifting that's awesome, man. So then uh, at what age do you start really going to the gym with your friends and lifting weights? And then at what point are you like, man, I love lifting heavy and this is something I want to do more? I was probably around 15, no, no, 16 to, to 17 uh-huh. uh, when, when I started uh, lifting weights with, with a few of my friends. And then it was just kind of like to hang out. Uh, mm-hmm. Before that, I, I actually had a, a short period of time that, where I played a lot of video games and I didn't yeah. want, really want to care about sports because uh, all I've ever done up to that point kind of was sport, sports related uh, in, in my free time. So yeah. I got stuck in the in the video games uh, for a year. What, what did you play for, a lot during that time? Uh, yeah, I played I played a lot of League of Legends. With, okay, uh, I played League as well. Um, what, what, uh, what lane did you play when you uh, played back then? Oh, I don't really. I played a little bit of everything. I think I played some some mid lane and mid lane and uh, some support. Yeah, I think uh, Bjergsen. Do you know him? I think he's Swedish, right? Am I am I correct? He's like a professional player, and he's like well known. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I actually not. He's, he's on. Uh, <laughs> he's really on the. Uh, let me let more. me look at him real quick because. Uh, yeah. He he. Oh no, he's Danish. He's part of uh, uh, some American teams that are really good. So yeah, like I see like the European teams doing really well in League of Legends. So for those of you listening that don't don't know much about League of Legends, it is a, a video game that got really popular. And now that like stadiums get filled out and teams make lots of cash prize money and like, you know, teams from Asia, America, Europe, they all come together and compete. And it's so crazy how esports kind of blew up. But I think back when you and I were playing, you know, when you were at that age, it was still like just kind of growing and like no one really played seriously professionally. So it's cool to, to um, you know, hear that you've also played as well. And then after that, so your friends finally pull you out and say, let's go to the gym. Uh, when did you start discovering powerlifting? Yeah, I think it was just like one or two years after that because mm-hmm. I, I was kind of short and I didn't weigh much. I think I weighed like 55 kilos or something before okay. I started to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. So I was I was really like featherweight and I, I didn't lift a lot. So and uh, and the other guys that went to the gym, they they started like a year or two before me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they also hit puberty before me, I think. So <laughs> they, they've outgrown me a lot. But I, I kind of realized like after a year or a year and a half that even though I'm, I'm smaller than these guys, I, I, I can outlift some of them. Yeah, so I started training the squat really, really seriously because mm-hmm. nobody would train legs with me like any <laughs> any day of the week. Oh, uh, so, so I started training the squat really seriously and uh, I went through like three, three rounds of the Bulgarian method. Okay, uh, that's back to back. the yeah. Uh, isn't that the one where you while like doing like leg day workouts? 
That's yeah, the one you where just you work up, up all for the like time. a max single. Every yeah, day. I tried it once and I got a stress fracture in my foot because I couldn't handle the frequency. So <laughs> I gave up on it two weeks in. I was like, this is not for me. Um, I don't even think I went that heavy. I was just, uh, it was just really taxing on my joints. So that was when I kind of realized dosing wise for frequency. Yeah, five, yeah. six days of squatting for me is not possible. But respect to you. Uh, that That's amazing. Um, I guess uh, uh, it makes me happy to hear that it's not just in America where all the boys skip le- uh, skip leg day and only focus on upper body. Even in Sweden, it's the same same over there, and, and everyone just wants to skip and do upper body. But um, when did you get into deadlifting? Then was that just something that came with it? And because I mean, you're a pretty decent deadlifter, I would say. Like, uh, when did that come into the picture? Oh yeah, it it came with it, kind kind of like at the same point. I I would still train deadlifts like one or once or twice a week while mm. doing the Bulgarian method in, yeah. in the in the squat. So that's crazy. Uh, I kind of trained everything or... at once. Uh, no, I started out with conventional uh, because okay. that was that that was the way I was taught by, by my friends. Uh, but then I saw some like strong strong dudes on on Instagram lifting uh-huh. sumo, and I was like. I was like, this looks much easier if you do it sumo. So I just put my toes at like <laughs> as, as far out as you can, pulled, and damn, it hurts so bad in the hips. So oh yeah, everybody <laughs> I actually, I actually like pulled, pulled like a PR, just just brute forcing it. But <laughs> then I had to stop stop doing sumo for like a month before for the inflammation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I think almost everybody that's like the initiation process for sumo is like your groin and your adductors hurt. And then you got to find your stance and, you know, because not everybody yeah. can go so wide. And I think textbook sumo, people look at it on Instagram and say, oh, I got to go super wide, super upright. And then people learn about leverages and realize that's not possible. So, uh, yeah, I think then, I, I watched uh, like Yuri Belkin or someone and I just tried to model <laughs> exact, exactly the same that yeah. uh, so without his the, joints the and wrong leverages. Person. Yeah, probably the wrong person to watch. Although he's a beautiful sumo deadlifter, but for yeah. 95% of the population, they cannot deadlift like him. Um, so now now you're starting to lift weights in high school. You're, you know, 16, 17. Um, by the time you were graduating high school, like were people like, oh, Eric's getting kind of big, like he's putting on some muscle. Like, what was that like? Uh, well, I actually had a friend at the time uh, who, who was coached uh, by Alexander Eriksson, uh, oh, which wow. is a very, yeah, he's a very great powerlifter from, from Sweden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he won Worlds and Europeans, I think, this year. So, uh, But he, he was coached by him at the time, and he said, I go to this powerlifting gym. You, say, you should join sometime because yeah. you, you seem to enjoy lifting heavy. So, uh, yeah, I said to him that I would, but it actually took me like a year and or a year and a half to, to actually do it because I, I was too afraid to to enter like the powerlifting scene uh, uh-huh. without being able to like uh, qualify for junior uh, raw nationals. So Dang, I just, you said I just continued to... Yeah, yeah. I, now, now when I think about it, it was so stupid because I would have qualified in like a few months just yeah. just being in there and, and being around those people. But uh, yeah, I was just too afraid. And it was kind of comfortable because uh, I was training with my friends every day after school. And yeah, we, I, just, I just enjoyed the, the life that I had at the moment. So yeah. I didn't want to go to a different gym without my friends at the time. Then after a while, uh, I just went there one time and uh, everybody was super nice and I I never looked back. You know, uh, that story resonates with me a lot. And I think it's something a lot of people feel is 
you know, same thing for me. High school, I lifted with my friends. We went to just the normal commercial type gym. Um, and then once college started, when we would all come back home, I was like, hey, guys, I want to go to a powerlifting gym or check one out. And everyone was just kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go with you. Like, so I had to go by myself a lot. And, you know, you go in heavy metals playing, chains, bands, big dudes tatted up. And then you talk to everyone and they're really nice. Like, you know, they're, they're talking to you about their pet, pet uh, dog or whatever and showing you pictures. And, you know, these guys who you wouldn't think are the sweetest people like uh, you would meet, you know, everyone was so friendly. And I think once you just get in there and get comfortable, it, it's, it's a lot less scary and intimidating. So, you know, anybody out there who's like on the fence about, you know, joining a powerlifting gym or not, check it out at least once like you did. See if you like the atmosphere. Yeah. If it's not for you, you can always find and try out another gym. And hopefully one, one of them will be to your fitting and, you know, it'll be a great place to be surrounded by kind of a family, an extended family who will take care of you and make sure you grow in your powerlifting journey. So, you know, at this point, you've went to the gym, you checked it out, you, you realize it's pretty cool. You decide to join. Is this when you're starting to think about competing? Yeah, yeah. I, I joined the powerlifting gym because I wanted to start to compete. Uh, in Sweden, you have to be affiliated uh, with, with a powerlifting gym in, in oh. order to compete. It's uh, it's part of like the anti-doping uh, policy in Sweden. I see. So, uh, for example, at, at this club that I was training in, in Stockholm, uh, I think you had to be in the gym I think it was twice a week. Uh, maybe I'm remembering wrong. Uh, just so if someone wanted to come and test everybody in the gym, uh, you would have the risk of being there uh, twice a week. So nice. they could test you on, on random testing. And uh, yeah, they've, they've, they've been there a couple of times. I think in, I only think it was when we had competitions there, but either way. Uh, so so that was kind of like the thing that I had to be affiliated yeah. with, with a powerlifting gym because the wow. powerlifting gym that's crazy, yeah. and then uh, sensing your application for, for nationals. Okay, so I have a couple questions about that because that's new to me. I never heard about that before. Um, if you know uh, now, Eric, like I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu a lot. In jiu-jitsu, if you want to sign up for a competition, you do have to submit what gym you train out of to get approved that your belt yeah. rank is your rank. But in powerlifting, we never have to do that. You might have to submit what gym you might be at to work out as a part of the year for anti-doping, but you don't have to be affiliated and say, this is the gym I'm kind of representing. Um, so with that, when, when you submit that application, like what if you have a home garage gym and you want to lift at home, do you still have to be a part of a gym, but you can still lift at home, but like you still need a gym to represent, to go to those meets? Yeah, you're, you're always representing uh, your, your gym or like athlete club uh, at nationals. So when you're up on the, on the podium or, mm -hmm. or when, when they're dealing out prices, uh, you have to have like your uh, gym clothes on with, with the, like the logo uh, oh, from wow. the athletes club that you're wearing. So you can't have like your own clothes or, or your own logo and stuff when you're competing because you're, you are competing for your gym, not for yourself. That's, that's true. That's even, even if it's an individual competition. Yeah. So that's kind of like the distinction. Is there is there drama if somebody decides, hey, like I want to switch gyms or or maybe they have to move and they have to go to a different gym? Is it a little awkward when you have to represent a new gym or from what you've seen? No, not really. I, I'm I moved to to Lin Shopping now uh, to study, and uh, so I I changed gym 
and mm. it, it wasn't really a problem. You just have to do it uh, during the. It's kind of like uh, I don't know. In in soccer, you have like this transfer window windows for when when people can switch teams, and and we have the same thing. So you have like a few months every year where you, where you can okay, switch. Okay, so no hard months. feelings. Yeah, because you're like you have to go no. to school. So yeah, it's like hey, like well, I can't yeah. be here. So that's that's good. I mean, I'm glad that they're it's a cool understanding like very sport-like scene we don't have that over here and and my next question would be in america we have multiple powerlifting federations and sometimes it gets confusing because if you look at the major sports like basketball or uh, you know football whatever they all have the big you know nba league nfl league there's only one kind of major league but in powerlifting we have usa powerlifting uspa we have all these smaller federations so and like if you go to like a state like oklahoma there's not a lot of USAPL or USPA, either of them there. They have their own federation that's kind of popular there. So depending on where you live, some people just choose a fed because of accessibility. They just don't have access to USAPL or they don't have access to USPA. Um, obviously, other people choose because of USAPL, they do drug tests. USPA, you can choose the drug tested side or the untested side. So you have an option. Um, in Sweden, is there like one major federation? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, it's just the one. Uh, I I don't think there's like there there isn't like a nationals or anything in, in any other federation. So if you, if you want to compete and if you want to compete against the best, uh, you're using the IPF affiliates. Okay, so the other feds are just small, That's like little, the only only one option. Yeah, they're just like exhibition meet type of type of federations, right? Yeah, and they're barely around. I, I okay. think there are. It's few, not even a federation. A few, like, no, no. It's like a few companies every year that mm-hmm. organizes a meet, uh, but then they do it by by applying uh, for for the rights to organize that meet uh, oh, from wow. like the associate. So they're they're somewhat affiliated to, to that mm-hmm. associate. Uh, the, the way, or administrative process is very organized compared to us. We're not as uh, strict and organized. And I think when I talk to my fellow uh, powerlifters in Japan, they're also the same way. Where JPA, the uh, Japanese Powerlifting Association, that's their fed and that's the main fed there isn't really as many like small pocket federations so it's cool to see that in other countries you guys are more uniform uh, versus in america it's a little bit more i guess you can kind of pick what you want to do and you can power lift just the power lift and you know do cash prize meets or just for fun or you can do an ipf affiliate and try to be the best in your country and go to go to worlds um so that, that's it's nice that you guys have a little bit more of a streamlined experience. So then, you know, now, you know, you're starting to compete, you apply and you get uh, you're part of this gym. Um, what was your first competition like? Because I think from what you've told me, um, it was around in 2018. It was like a, a local qualifier for nationals. Like what was what was that first competition like for you? Oh, well, for starters, I was just super nervous. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and I got sick, I think it was one week or, or two weeks before. So I tried to do my, my openers uh, the Monday uh, before oh, the competition yeah. and uh, I almost failed. It was like an RP10 grind or yeah. at least it felt like one. So I was really bummed out when I, when I came into the competition, uh-huh. but uh, then I managed to get three, three out of three on squats. I managed three out of three on bench and uh, then I knew yeah, I, I can make it if I if I just do like a good second attempt deadlift. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I lowered my first attempt, 
And then I made my opener on my second attempt. And then for my third attempt, I was so happy that I got it up that I put it down too fast. So I didn't qualify oh, for nationals. So hey, it was kind of like a hard first competition. I was really sad about it after that. But yeah, I, I managed to just get through it and start training for, for like my, my next competition. Yeah, because uh, I feel like, you know, a lot of us, uh, when we compete, people, people uh, like, especially at the local level, you know, people get sad if they have a bad performance or whatnot, but it, that's part of the journey, you know, and, and I'm sure you learned a lot yeah. from that meet and it inspires and motivates other people to hear like, you know, even you who is now at a world level, you had a rough beginning and it wasn't easy. You weren't the, the crazy genetic outlier who was just outlifting everybody. You came from humble beginnings and worked your way up. And, and I think after that meet, you're, you're right back in the gym and you did the bench press nationals and then uh, you did another yeah. local qualifier right after so i'm assuming at that second local qualifier uh, were you able to make it or it looks like your bench press uh at that meet uh what didn't go as well what, what, what was uh what was the next couple of meets oh i actually didn't make it because uh right after the, the first local qualifier i i got a pec rupture in my left pec oh, man. Uh, it wasn't like a total rupture it was 20 to 30 percent so yeah not that bad but but still mm-hmm. and it, it kept me away from from training my bench press for for quite a long time actually uh yeah even in later on in 2018, when, when I did my first equipped competition, I still had like a lot of pain uh, when I Dang. tried to lift raw, but I, I could lift in the shirt or I, I could lift somewhat in the shirt because every, everything else hurts. So I didn't really feel my chest. So nice. I just put on the shirt <laughs> and over. lifted a little bit more weight. So Is I don't really know if it, why you switched oh, over. Uh, it was kind of one one reason, yes, because I, I couldn't compete uh, either in single lift bench press or or raw lifting at all. But I could uh, do uh, a sharded bench, and mm-hmm. uh, there are also like a few legends uh, at my yeah. gym uh, who competed uh, before in uh, in the equipment. Uh, I don't know Olaf Viklund. Uh, he squatted like 400 kilos uh, wow. in the equipment and uh, we also have uh, 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 Peppe uh, and uh, yeah he, he benched like I think he benched 347 at work worlds that and, uh, incredible. that's in kilos that's oh not yeah I, I had a few really really strong uh, equipped lifters around me so they kind of came to me and said don't you want to test equipment? And uh, <laughs> they got like this weird look in their eyes when I when I said, "Well, sure." <laughs> and they were like ready to experiment all, on all the, uh, young the Eric. And yeah, and they just pulled out all the suits and started wrapping me. And before I knew it, I was just out there with like. <laughs> 30 kilos above my max and I didn't yeah. really know what I was doing but, Cause, cause, but uh, your, yeah your I got a lot, of, a lot of guidance from them yeah your first equipment you did really well I think you you squatted 275 kilos you benched 180 kilos uh deadlifted 255 so like I mean clearly compared to your first three competitions where things didn't go as well as you wanted to you had the peck you were dealing with you did great at that first equip qualifier you qualified and then you got to go to junior equip nationals and it looks like you you were able to place first is that correct yeah there wasn't really a lot of people there i think it was just me and like a couple of other juniors i think Mm -hmm. or or maybe just the one because it, it was just like uh one uh class in, in when you're one in point 
there weren't even any other 83 kilos, 83 kilo lifters in, in that class. I see. Well, uh, one, one thing I'm curious about is, so like after that junior equip meet, um, you ended up doing the uh, junior equipped European championship and then the world championship in Sweden. Yeah. Is there a distinction between your local Swedish nationals versus the European championship? Cause we don't really have that in America. We just have, you know, we have like local regional, which is like a couple States. And then we have nationals and that's it. We don't have like a European, obviously type of like, if you go to NAPF, maybe you'll compete against South America and Canada and, and whatnot, but we don't have like a Euro championship. Is that like a collective group of European countries? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of almost uh, all European countries or at least everybody in the uh, European powerlifting yeah. federation. So uh, yeah, and you you get selected uh, to to be a part of the national team uh, based on your performances. So I, I was selected uh, based on on my performance at uh, equipped team nationals, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then I just got a call and said, "European Championship is three months away. You want to go?" And wow. I said yes. So. And you got yeah, first that, that's on the squat like too. Like, you're you're a squatting yeah. king from your early days when you were the only one doing leg day in your friends. Now you were European Championship uh, top play squatter. Uh, what was that meet like? Oh yeah, that meet was was just great. Uh, I think you can see that. Yeah, I I squatted like two seventy five at my first meet, and yeah. uh, then uh, half eight or six months later, I squatted yeah. uh, three fifteen. So I just had great time and equipment and uh, i got just so much help from everybody at my club so it was just yeah it was just i just had a great time squatting equipped uh, i don't know uh, for some reason i didn't mind uh, all the pain aches and stuff you get from from equipped squatting yeah. yes up through it <laughs> a little uh, bit of a masochist to uh, enjoy the the pain but i don't know how you do it man but you know a couple months later you go to the world championship and you actually yeah. medal a uh, third on bench. So at that point, was your pec starting to feel better? I mean, obviously you're using equipment, so it's a little less painful, but your bench went up, you know, 30 kilos as well, which is uh, incredible. So, you know, how was your pec doing around that time? Yeah, that, that was, yeah, it, it was kind of healed around that time. Uh, I think if you look at it, uh, I think it was 2018 and uh, in uh, yeah May, uh, I got my pec injury yeah. and uh, it was around a little bit more than a year after that, that it, it had completely, completely healed and I could like resume uh, raw training. So uh, now I could tolerate uh, raw training and I, I also uh, changed my shirt uh, to a smaller shirt. So I, I think mm, I it was partly because of that, but um, I, I think it was a lot of raw strength that I gained during this time as well. Just, yeah, just from being able to to train the bench press. Exactly. And, and honestly, like watching you bench, like you're a very technical bencher. Um, you have a pretty decent arch, obviously not as big as Sean's, but still, still pretty, quite, quite impressive. And, and you know, you, I love your, your bench technique. And I think I'm glad that at that point you're able to, you know, just resume raw training because after the junior equipped world championship, it looks like you went back and did a classic uh, local uh, meet to, to qualify again. You did your first local meet back. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I, I had a two-year break now uh, because of the the COVID restrictions. So oh, we yeah. we haven't had any competitions in in Sweden. I, I was supposed to go to both uh, both Europeans and Worlds, uh, both 2020 and 2021, but both were cancelled, or or at least Sweden didn't send any lifters. 
because of the pandemic. So, so I, yeah. I missed out on of, on those competitions and. Uh, when when there weren't any competitions, I didn't really have it in me to to do do these heavy equipped squats because yeah, yeah it just takes a lot like of energy. Access. You have to get like five or six people there to <laughs> spot you and wrap yeah. you and everything. And well, it's it's super great that they do that, but I don't really want to take up everybody's time just for a training lift that's going to go nowhere. That's so true. So I only squat squatting or I only lift in the equipment before for, before competitions because it's it's kind of hard on on both myself and and my whole life i think yeah so uh during that pandemic time you know you finish up junior equipped world championship this is august uh, funny enough it's on my birthday august 26th of uh, 2019 and then uh, a couple months later it goes by and COVID hits 2020 what was it like in sweden were gym shutting down was it very strict over there compared to america because i'll kind of share with you how it was for us but what was it like for you guys with meets shutting down and how was how was all of that? No, it wasn't really too strict. Uh, we, we had uh, like all meets shut down, uh, uh-huh. but we could still train. I think we had uh, like one or two months where we had to shut down the gym. But okay. uh, after that, we, we could open if we had like a booking system where you could only be, oh, uh, I think we, we can be smart. eight people in the gym at the time. So now we just have a simple, just a simple script in uh, in Google Sheets, just writing out like a schedule each day. And uh, you can just go in there and uh, write your name and then you're booked for two hours. Yeah. So uh, we could just resume train, training as, as normal after that. And uh, it was just our gym that closed. Like I joined a commercial gym for, for two oh, months. Wow. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have to stop training anything because of COVID. Yeah, you, you pretty much went into like a monk training year or two and uh, just kind of kept yeah. going at it without being able to compete. Um, in America, it's weird because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with how how we run things, but we have the the national like the federal national government, but then we have states and they each have their own kind of government system. So Texas, where I live, is kind of stereotyped as we don't really care. People love guns here. People love freedom here. They they want their choice. So in Texas, people were very quick to be like, I want stuff open. I don't want to have to wear masks. Or people still wore it to be kind to each other, but a lot of people who didn't care was like, I don't care if you wear it or not. Um, so in Texas, it was very quick to quickly open back up and people were just ready to get back in. But there were other states like California or New York where reasonably so, they're very busy states because you know, touristy, a lot of people live there, a lot of a lot more congested. They were very strict and you know, gyms were shut down for a long period of time. And in Texas, it's a big state. So everybody has a big garage. They have home gym equipment. So all of my clients and friends, we all were setting up our garages. We did the same thing where at my garage at the time, I lived with a bunch of roommates. We had a three car garage, but none of us used the garage. We had like four combo racks in there from our university team because I was storing it. So we had two deadlift platforms, four combo racks, ping pong table in the middle, and everyone would just come and Google sheet, sign up, sanitize the equipment when they come for their two, three hours. And people were begging me. They were like, I got to work out. Like I can't be stuck at home. And I'm so, you know, just need something to do. So it was a fun couple months for us because we still got to work out and, you know, see each other and be safe about it as much as we could. But I'm, I'm glad that you were able to at least still work out and train. So, you know, even when you got back, I'm guessing you didn't lose too much strength by the time you resumed competition. 
Uh, no, not actually. I I just had a great two training years. I had a couple. I had one or two adductor strains uh, and and a few like overuse uh, injuries that I had to back off for a month or two, but nothing that really changed my my training plan. So I just trained raw for for two years and yeah. and I gained a lot of strength. So the first uh, like qualifier that I did, uh, I actually had a back strain just a few weeks out from that. Uh, when i started working with uh, jason tremley as a coach yeah and uh, yeah the training got a little, little bit too specific and a little bit too heavy a little bit too quick i think so yeah. I, I got a back strain but i managed to do just a qualifying total uh, and uh, and then i actually rehabbed it back and uh, had everything going great for for nationals uh, few, uh two months later i think yeah, because you did you could you did equipped bench press world championship right after your raw qualifier, and then you yeah. did the the raw nationals uh, for for classic nationals in, in Sweden, and you got first there as a junior. So you were doing a meet in September of 2021, October at bench a bench worlds, and then November you did a, a junior classic nationals. So you were doing back to back and then in december you did uh equipped local qualifier for nationals as well so you had to meet uh pretty much like four months in a row um what was that yeah. like was that intentional just because you were like all right i gotta try to do both classic and equipped like how was that whole process yeah it was it was intentional in, in some way but also unintentional because uh, we, we had all all competitions postponed or or cancelled uh, until September so September was kind of like the first time for me uh, oh, wow. where, where I was able to qualify for junior raw nationals because I still haven't hadn't qualified uh, yeah. a single time for junior raw nationals even if I competed internationally equipped uh, so I, I had to do that and uh, then I yeah I had the the junior bench press worlds uh, it, it wasn't really affecting me too much i just trained my bench press for bench press worlds and then i trained my other lifts for junior raw junior raw nationals because mm -hmm. all the other competitions that were equipped that year were were cancelled and uh, then right after that uh, i had to go in and do the local equipped qualifier uh, for open equipped nationals uh, that uh, were supposed so you to be like in, a deadline, uh, two weeks so, but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Dang, that's crazy i mean it, it's so impressive that you're able to do because it, it reminds me in high school powerlifting for us we actually have high school powerlifting at some of the schools not all the schools but uh, those kids they compete almost every week it's crazy they wear they all do equipped only uh because there really isn't a raw scene in high school just yet uh, funny enough, in Texas, the amount of members we have in USA powerlifting versus Texas high school powerlifting, there's way more members in Texas high school powerlifting. So these kids are competing all the time and wearing equipped and, and like, I, it's crazy they're training because every weekend is a meet. So they're just going, you know, crazy every single weekend until they qualify for regionals and they go to state and they try to be the, the state champion. Uh, but that's, that's amazing. And it, it kind of sucks that you had to do so many back to back. And, you know, it seems like both you and Aiden, when I talked to you guys had your share of injuries and things happen before your meets and you still stuck with it and, and, you know, ended up doing like phenomenal at a lot of these meets. I mean, even your raw performance at uh, junior classic nationals as an 83, the numbers are quite impressive. I mean, you totaling 721 kilos, like in America as well, you would have a pretty solid total as a junior competitor. So 
yeah, like at this point, then you're waiting on, you know, with the 2022 now with the new year, you're waiting on these bigger world meets to happen now so you can go to them, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was really satisfied with my with my raw performance. Uh, I hadn't really tested my raw performance at all in, in two years, or, <laughs> or at least like peaking yeah. intentionally uh, for, for raw. So just managing, yeah, I got like the national record in, in both squat, bench press and total. So I think for, for an equipped lifter uh, doing that at a raw competition is quite all right. So I was really, really satisfied uh, about that. And uh, yeah, actually, Equipped open uh, nationals that was uh, that, that I was supposed to do uh, was cancelled just yesterday, oh, oh, so man. I won't do that. It, it was supposed to be in two weeks, uh, but yeah, I won't do that. And well, so now I guess I'm I'm looking forward at uh, open uh, raw nationals mm. in uh, March, I think, and uh, then it's uh, equipped uh, junior Europeans, uh, equipped uh, yeah bench press Europeans bench press worlds and then uh, equipped uh, powerlifting worlds and maybe even uh, classic uh, europeans if i if i am able to go to go to that or if i'm selected to go to that so uh, i have a question there uh, you have a lot of competitions that you know lined up that you're hoping to do um, in america if you want to compete it's kind of all out of pocket you got to pay for travel you got to pay for the meets it's not really like anybody pays for anything unless you're sponsored by a company to like like SPD or something and they'll give you a little bit of a travel stipend in your case are you just working hard and saving up money to fund your own travel or does the swedish you know federation or your gym or your team do they give you some sponsorship to help you go yeah, yeah, yeah. We have kind of this setup at my gym. If you help up, help out a couple of times each year, uh, the gym pays your fee for like uh, nationals. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. you don't have to pay the fee, and uh, you can also get like a small amount of money uh, for the travel. It, it won't yeah, yeah. like cover anything, or, or it won't cover all of it, but it's still a little bit help. And for all of the international uh, travels. Uh, the uh, Swedish Powerlifting Federation pays uh, everything. Yeah. That, that's amazing. I'm, I'm glad that you guys have it set up to where uh, it's more like a real sport, you know, where they have some funds ready for you guys um, because that is a lot of competitions and you're working hard to not only train and if you have to work to pay for everything too, it's, uh, it's a very difficult yeah. uh, thing to do. And, and I'm glad that you have some support there and, you know, it makes you closer to your gym as well. Like you help them out and you become more administrative too, because maybe you help ref, you help spot, you just help the score table yeah. and volunteer. And I think any power lifter out there who loves the sport in the community, I mean, I, I would say, and I'm sure you would agree, encourage them to go into the refing, go into spotting, because once you've spotted and loaded once, and I did my very first spot and load in like 2015, um, I realized I, I was so much more thankful to spotters and loaders because it is hard work. Like you're there all day, yeah. switching out kilos. You got to know how to do the kilos and the the, um, the uh, combo rack adjustments too. So the faster you are, you run a smooth meet. And one, one thing I'm very proud of for my university team, and Jaron probably feels the same way, is a lot of the lifters are now, they've used uh, kilo plates, they've used combo racks. So when we run meets, it's very smooth. There's no, oh, how do you set the pins or whatever? They've done it many times. They trained on it. So it's so cool to see the community grow. And for you guys, having that give and take, I think that's very beautiful to see. Uh, one thing we we didn't cover throughout you know, your meet experience that I'm curious about is, 
you know, after high school, you know, you start competing. What was your, you know, school, university, you know, what were those goals? Like, what were you doing outside of powerlifting all the way until, you know, now? Because I know you're, I think, still in school and you're finishing up. Uh, what was what was your degree plan and what did you do? Uh, so, yeah, uh, I actually started uh, university in 2019. Uh, I had the junior equipped worlds uh, at my first examination period. So yeah. <laughs> I went to Worlds, I, I came home, I think I was home for like 72 hours or something. And uh, I just studied everything during the, those 72 <laughs> oh, hours. Yeah. And uh, I actually managed to, to pass uh, my, my first exam. So I was really nervous about that. But yeah, I didn't go stress. outside for, for two days. Just <laughs> I, I went, I took my bike to school and I just felt like the fresh air coming down my lungs. Oh, and I was like, oh this is the sweet stuff. So <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I started in Tucson. 2019 and um, I studied uh, in uh, industrial engineering and, and management okay uh, with a techno technical orientation in uh, computer science uh, so uh, right now I'm getting my bachelor degree uh, uh -huh. in uh, yeah in industrial engineering and management and uh, also computer science uh, that, that's incredible man. then I'll, I'll do come yeah then I'll do two more years uh, uh, for graduate get my masters okay yeah wow so uh, high aspirations now um though it's not a easy degree for sure and you know it's impressive that you're doing some computer science i know you're decently savvy with some excel work and maybe some coding um with you going to grad school afterwards like what are kind of your career goals as your degree allows and then as a coach are you trying to manage and juggle a bit of both as you keep going to university yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm I'm doing a little bit of, of both. Uh, mm -hmm. I I like I like to see uh, where, where the powerlifting thing uh, takes me, and uh, I really like the analytical uh, process of, of writing programs and, and the coaching part. Uh, but where I also I'm really satisfied uh, with my education, and uh, just I love I love the thing where you mix like mathematics, economics, and uh, computer science in, in the same basket. basket. Uh, that's yeah. really my, my wheelhouse. So I, I kind of have like great interest in, in both at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, Eric. I mean, uh, I, I, I think uh, if I remember correctly, you mentioned you, you had a girlfriend, but you are like the, the poster boyfriend because you're intelligent. You have, you know, the, the academic smarts, but you're also strong. You know, you're a world level competitor um, and, and, you know, you got you got the best of both worlds. So that's very impressive, man, that you have. Uh, kind and of despite being like a workaholic and <laughs> late night meetings with Americans. I, I yeah. Think I, I do and and I apologize on points. that because I know our time gaps always make it tough uh, and Eric always has to take our calls like towards the evening when, when it's getting close to his bedtime. So we always thank you for, for accommodating us on that, but yeah, like that's, that's amazing, man. I'm, I'm best of luck to, you know, you wrapping up your, your studies and, and good luck going into graduate school. That's, that's wonderful to, to hear. Um, as a coach, do you have any specific goals there? Just, I know, I know uh, out of our team, you know, you, we've discussed, you, you want to bring more competitive lifters to this world level. Um, what's kind of your coaching goals right now? Yeah, I, I just want to yeah just develop as a coach and bring my systems uh, to the next level. I think a lot of the things I do right now is just improving the analytical process that I've been refining for years now and just learning a lot from, from you guys who also has a lot of experience and taking that all that experience into my systems and uh, 
uh, kind of work on like quantifying uh, different metrics to exceed or excel performance. Uh, I think that's most of what I'm focusing on right now. So just growing as a coach and uh, become better and better at uh, coaching uh, more experienced uh, lifters with uh, with high aspirations. I think that that's my my biggest goal. That's great, Eric. And, and we, we see your passion and how much work you put into it. I know sometimes uh, it makes us into workaholics, but I think when you have a passion for it, it doesn't feel like work. And, and you know, you, you put in your, all the effort because you care and this is something important to you. And we appreciate all the time and effort you put into the team, put into your clients and your you know, coaching process. Now, as a competitor, are your goals uh, after these next big meets you know, you're soon going to graduate into the open age category soon. Like, what are your long-term uh, competitive goals? Are you thinking of going more into just coaching and kind of hands-off on the competing? Or what are you thinking of yourself as a competitor? No, I actually think I, I would like to to compete. Uh, I don't know at what level because, yeah, it just depends on how, how good I'll be. But uh, at the moment, I think I'll probably have like one or two years uh, where I won't compete as much because uh, this year it, it's my last junior year. Uh, I have maybe five international competitions and yeah. a few local ones. And I think I think I, w- I will have competed enough for a year or two uh, when this year is over. So just taking some time off competing, but still training. Uh, I don't think I'll ever stop training because I really enjoy the powerlifting training. And yeah. uh, also, uh, I'm always experimenting uh, on, on myself <laughs> when, when I'm writing my own programs. So I kind of like that uh, having the 100 percent output data uh, from yeah, the system you're, you're when I can feel like everything that, that I'm doing. So. Uh, yeah, I try to collect as much data as I can for my athletes, but mm-hmm. it's not really the same as completing the training yourself because you get all of these like soft metrics that it's exactly. hard it's hard to quantify over longer periods of time. So I really like that process, and uh, I think it makes me a better coach just getting through those uh, sessions and and trying stuff out, just being able to relate to my to my clients in a better way. So I don't think yeah. I'll ever stop uh, training. I'll maybe I'll back off competing uh, competitively uh, for like a year or two but nice. well we'll we'll see maybe in five years time sean mm-hmm. will get old and a broken back and beat <laughs> out sean and uh, the the uh, the student outperforms the masters so uh, i'm sure sean himself knowing him would be happy to see that too and, and that's what's great about you know our dynamic and our, our team and yeah, like I feel the same. I think that's why with a lot of the people I work with, I try to give them the tools to better read those self-metrics so they can explain that to me so that I'm giving them the tools to self-assess because I don't feel all the things they can feel, but I I, I feel the same way as you where I love experimenting on myself. I've ran through all different types of strategies, programs, what worked for me, what didn't work for me. And when it didn't work for me, I didn't look at it as like, oh, this program is bad and it's never going to work. It was more of me determining the data and the reasons of why it wasn't working for me and not saying that it's not a good fit for everyone else. It's just the give and take of where is it going to work? And maybe for another population of people, it might work better, but that's amazing, man. I mean, I'm guessing now after your big competitions coming up, you can hopefully focus on your graduate studies, getting accepted into that, and then, you know, work on school, work on your professional career a little bit, and hopefully we'll see you back and compete again, you know, as a, as an open lifter. And I imagine you'll still be fairly competitive being someone who's so passionately training all the time. 
Um, another thing I wanted to highlight for all the, the listeners before we start wrapping up soon is, uh, you know, English is Eric's second language. So this whole time you guys have been listening in, um, Eric is from Sweden. He speaks Swedish. That's his primary language. And uh, we always tell uh, and, you know, compliment Eric on our team that anytime we talk with him, it feels like, you know, there's there's no language barrier. Like, it's so easy to communicate with you, Eric. And, you know, we appreciate that you're always taking the time to use your second language for us, because obviously none of us speak uh, Swedish. But uh, in, in your uh, education, I'm curious, like, do they really emphasize learning English as your second language in your school years? Yeah, yeah, yes. First of all, yeah, thank you, Michael. And, uh, yeah, we, we have it, like, really early on. I think... Uh, from maybe second or, or third grade, uh, we start wow. with, uh, with English. So, so almost the same time that we start with more structured uh, Swedish speaking. Wow, that, that's, that's yeah, I, I think a lot of time, it's, it's mostly just an issue of me uh, thinking a lot faster than I can speak in, in English. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I really have to, to slow down. And uh, then sometimes I, yeah, it just gets, gets weird when, yeah. when I don't really know what to say. But, but, you know, you still do a great job, I think, responding pretty quickly to where I don't feel like it's ever been awkward or pause gaps talking to you. You always do a great job responding. And yeah, that's the weird thing is because I grew up uh, in a fully Korean household, so I know how to speak, read and write Korean. And the it's almost like my personality or the way I think it's weird when I switch between thinking in English and as an American versus thinking more in Korean as kind of like a Korean American. And uh, yeah, like swapping back and forth. But I think it really helps you just relate to people and socialize better because when you're mastered, you know, more than one language, I feel like you have a better understanding of other people, their cultures, mannerisms, because I'm sure there's words uh, like in Korean or Swedish that you can't really translate it to English directly, or it's like something unique to your culture or your language. And we have a lot of words like that in, uh, in Korean. Um, and like, there's one called like nunchi and nunchi in Korean, it's kind of like social awareness like uh when let's say someone walks in the room and it's your friend and he looks sad and if you have good nunchi you can tell kind of that he's sad but in in english we don't really have a very specific word to like like capture what nunchi is in korean so it's really cool that um you know you've learned both languages because in korea they do the same thing they teach english at a young age they really try to drill it into the students to say this is a powerful language that you guys should learn if you want to go study abroad or something like that. So I, I wish in America we took that more seriously, but we do get to pick languages when we go to school, but it's only a couple of years and most kids don't take it too seriously. It's kind of like you take two years of another language just to meet requirements, but you'll probably forget most of it. I pick Spanish and I can speak a little bit to communicate to like, hey, where's the restroom or thank you for the food or something like that. But I obviously can't speak conversationally to someone who speaks Spanish. So it, it's it's cool to see that, you know, you're able to, yeah, like talk with us without any language barrier. So once again, you know, thank you so much for joining me today, Eric. It was wonderful getting to know you and having the viewers and listeners kind of get an opportunity here. One of our international coaches who lives in a different country, goes through a different powerlifting scene. But at the end of the day, we're all part of the same community. And, you know, you're one of the coaches on our team that's uh, helping raise up our team and hopefully have uh, great plans and things stored for 2022. So, you know, as we wrap up, Eric, is there anything you'd like to say, whether about, you know, to, to any of the listeners or for on behalf of our team or anything uh, you want to kind of close us off with? Uh, no, I think we covered uh, most of it. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to doing some more of this podcast in the future and yeah just maybe talk, talk some more training 
Sounds great, Eric. Uh, you're always one of the, the more technical coaches on our team. So I'm sure we'll have more opportunities to speak like this again. And thank you again for your time.